In your insert there, or in your bulletin, there is a page that has a portion of Proverbs 30 and an outline for you to be able to take some notes today. We're going to be looking at selected Proverbs across the entire book as we continue this series in the book of Proverbs that I've entitled Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. And we're in the section of this series where we're looking topically at the book of Proverbs And we're looking at a variety of subjects. We started last week with looking at intimacy in the wisdom literature, wisdom and intimacy. And if that wasn't sensitive enough, we're talking about wisdom and money this week. Now, preacher, you've gone from preaching to meddling when you start to talk about money. And yet the Bible has so much to say about money. Well over 2,000 times throughout the Scriptures, you'll hear words about money. In fact, if you looked at the book of Luke and paged through it, you wouldn't find likely one page that doesn't have a highlight about money on it. And Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven or hell. Now, that's not to say that Jesus is more concerned about what you do with your money than whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. But I think what we see throughout Scripture is that our hearts and our condition of our hearts are demonstrated by our view towards and our use of money. It's sort of a barometer or a litmus test for where your heart is and where your treasure is in how we spend our money. Now, what I did this past week was to go through the book of Proverbs, and I just paged through 1 through 31 and took out those different verses that dealt with the subject of money, and I put them into general categories. Uh, Two broad categories that you see in your bulletin are the, the hazardous habits with respect to money and then the helpful habits. But I'm going to break those down into some more uh, subcategories so that we can get drilled in a little more specifically and, and notice some themes about the use of money in Proverbs. Now, I'd encourage you... Um, not to worry about feverishly taking down notes of every single reference that I make. In fact, you might wisely email me this week and say, Nathan, can you send me the verses that you had? Or better yet, you can do your own study in the book of Proverbs. You can page through and see and categorize for yourself. There's something about the just kind of soaking in the Word of God and pulling out these nuggets that really helps you to take ownership of them. This is God speaking to us wisdom. This isn't looking up some financial guru in our community or in the world that has all the best, you know, and wise words about money. This is God, the God of the universe that is speaking to us. This wisdom is for very practical things, and it touches us in most every area of our lives and just about every day we have to think about, and we use money. So I want to share as our Scripture reading this morning the words from Agur kind of as a capstone of a perspective on money in the Psalms, Psalm, or I mean in Proverbs, Proverbs 30, 7 to 9. Follow as I read it. This is God's inspired and inerrant and authoritative word to us. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would tune our hearts to the truth of your word, that the false teaching or the misunderstandings or the confusions about money that we've heard that have been trumpeted throughout our world, uh, Lord, that those words would be pushed out by the truthful words in your Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us not just the habits for how to use and not use our money, but Lord, that you would in particular start to expose our hearts and that you would help us as you have commanded us to guard our hearts above all else, for out of it spring the issues of life. Lord, this sensitive and challenging issue of life, uh, the use of our money, Lord, we want to uh, be humble in our attitude. We want to be seeking what your will is and not trying to impose our desires and our will. Lord, teach us to be humble and to receive from you your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you pastor at a church where your parents are members and the pastor that you work with, Tony, is a childhood friend, you can't tell many stories from your childhood without having some resident fact checkers. I can't spin any tales for you that uh, may mislead you down a different path. I got to be honest about some things, and here it is. I'm going to be honest about my teenage years that I was addicted to money. I loved money. I loved getting the money. I loved saving the money. I loved caring for the money. You think Scrooge McDuck and you saw me. Now, I was pretty low-key about it. I tried to keep it under wraps, but if my sister ran out of cash and she wanted to go out with her friends, I'd get a knock on my door and I'd say, hey, how you doing? Nathan, can I borrow some cash? Sure, no problem. And I'd go into my drawer, and I'd pull it out, and I'd give her some cash, and I'd write down that, I, that she owes me. My parents, sometimes when the paper boy would show up collecting, he'd ring the doorbell, and she, they didn't have any cash at the time. They'd come, on to my, come to my door, Nathan, Nathan, we need cash for the paper boy. And so I'd go to my drawer, and I'd pull out, and I'd give over what they needed, but that I'd write down and keep track of how much was owed. Now, I wasn't so mean that I, like, collected interest or anything like that. It was just I kept very careful tabs who I lent to and when I got back my money. All right, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I can distinctly remember a day when I got the ironing board and iron and brought it to my bedroom. I closed the, drawer, the door And I went over to my secret stash, my sock and underwear drawer, pulled it open, went in the far right corner. I can see it in my mind, that corner. And I pulled out my stack of money because I knew there were some bills in there that needed some work. I put them carefully on the ironing board and not too hot, but just warm enough to smooth out those beautiful rectangles without creasing a corner and making it pressed in, just, and I could smell the aroma of that ink that was just fuming in the room. And I'd caress each 
bill and put it in its stack and tenderly tuck it in the drawer and put it away. Sad, huh? Ridiculous. I think at its highest point between mowing lawns and flipping hamburgers at McDonald's, I mean 3.35 an hour, young people, that I probably had at its height $500 tucked away in that drawer. And man, I thought it was a lot. Now today when I think about it, I think I go through 10 times that amount in a month just paying the bills and staying afloat. And so what I want you to hear is the secret about money that I've come to learn from God's Word and in my experience, and that is it's really not about how much you have, but how much it has a hold on you. And your attitude towards money and the things and possessions that you get with that money reveals a whole lot about our hearts. And so I want to look at how, what is the Scripture say about money, and we're going to set up a bookend at the beginning of this message that is going to dip outside the Proverbs to make sure that we, we get this clear, is that God is the one who gives money. It all belongs to Him. And much likely we looked in the realm of intimacy, everything starts with God because He created it all. He is the originator of money and wealth and possessions. In Proverbs 22, 1 and 2, it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whether you're rich or poor, He's the maker of your status financially. And if any of you are familiar with uh, Crown Financial Ministries back in the day, they've changed their name since, but the small groups that we conducted in our church uh, consisted of meeting together with his families, and every week we'd have a new Bible verse that we would memorize concerning money. The very first week, I think it was a high bar of two verses from First Chronicles in order to really test if you're committed to this. Uh, set the foundation that I want you to hear. First, First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. This is a prayer of David where he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. It all belongs to God. It's all His. And then He is the one that loans it to us. It's still His. It still belongs to Him. Even when it says your name on the paycheck, He gave you the ability and the talents and the gifts to do that job and to make those, that money. He gave you that job in the first place. But He is the originator. He is the source. And He calls us to be the steward of it to take care of it till He comes again. In the book of Proverbs, we also learn foundationally that it's God who gives it. He's the provider. It's God who gives it. We're to be stewards of it. God gives money, but He gives things that are even more valuable than money. He puts into perspective the relative worth and value of the things in our lives, and He put riches and wealth 
into a category that is underneath a number of things. In Proverbs 8, 10, and 11, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Later in the same chapter, he says, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield better than choice silver. Wisdom is better than gold. There are things in life that are more important than your bank account balance and how your investments are doing. In Proverbs sixteen sixteen, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And you know you can't take it with you, right? You've learned that. You can't hook the U-Haul up to the hearse and expect that what you accumulated in this life will help you in the next. Maybe the pharaohs of old in Egypt buried their wealth with them thinking that, but they're wrong. You can't take it with you. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It's fleeting. In 11.18, we read, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. What is the security of riches and finances? Is it based on, is your security and your contentment based on where the stock market is on any given day of the week or year? Proverbs 23, 1-5 says, When you sit down with a ruler, observe carefully what's before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Like, hold on, watch yourself. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Have you had that experience? Like sprouting wings and flying away. I remember in one of my jobs, I upgraded from mowing lawns to working at McDonald's, from working at McDonald's to doing some construction and remodeling with a friend. And in that job, I was getting $5 an hour. And so I was rolling in the dough. And payday, I got cash from my boss. And I put that cash in my wallet and we were going to celebrate, go to Burger King, right? High-dollar meal to celebrate, a job finished, and here I am. I went to the enemy. I worked for McDonald's, and then I go to Burger King. Anyways, I show up and buy the meal, and then we had to go back to the work site and finish up the job. My wallet I left behind at the table. It could have been any other day of the week, right? But it had to be on payday after I had just gotten paid, and that wallet was full. But it wasn't full enough to keep it weighed down. It flew away, and it was gone. We can't put our trust in riches. We can't put our trust in stuff. Everything we've been given is a gift from God. We are just stewards of it. That is the mindset, first off, that we have to have because there are many hazardous habits that we could get into. The Bible warns us of, and I just want to run through some of these subjects. The first is that of um, laziness or not doing hard work. And the Proverbs go back and forth saying what the wise person does and what the foolish person does. And in terms of the work ethic, the term that the Proverbs use so often is this word, sluggard. I don't know what it is, but it's a 
funny sounding name. And I tried to look up the etymology of sluggard. I couldn't figure it out. But you know what I think of every time I think of sluggard. I think of one of those icky, slimy, snail-type things that move around. A snail without a shell basically is a slug. And so sluggards, slugs, move slow. They don't get anywhere very fast. The other word is sloth. Now, I know that sloths are pretty trendy today, that, oh, they're so cute and cuddly and adorable, but they do got big hooks for claws, and they are kind of scary. Sloths are slow don't move fast. Here, what the Proverbs does. It paints pictures. So many times, word pictures for us to really grab this. And it uses hyperbole, overstating the case so that you really get the point of the danger of laziness. 1924 says, the sluggard buries his hand in a dish and he won't even bring it back to his mouth. I mean, is that laziness or what? You're ready to eat. You put your hand in the dish I just can't bring myself to bring that food back into my mouth. That's utter laziness. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. The slugger says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the street. Lame excuses for not working. I passed by the field of a sluggard, Proverbs 24 says, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down, and I saw it and considered it. And I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, A little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and like an armed man. Crazy. Vivid imagery, silly sayings. You might think, ah, that's not me. And in fact, in our culture, we're probably less susceptible to that form of sluggardness that is just out and out laziness. You won't work. But there's a form of laziness that I got to warn you of that tempts me all the time and probably you, and that's procrastination. It's the sister to the sluggard. It's the word in your ear that say, oh, you can do that later. You can take care of that another time. And it's laziness in the form of just putting things off. Ouch. Does that hit home? It does to me. That's a habit to be keeping out a look for. How can I glorify God with the use of my time? If He's given it to me, and I'm just a steward of it, how can I use my time to best glorify Him? There's grace for us to learn and grow in this area. A second area is greed or covetousness. We said in this, recited in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. If you take a moment to go home today and read all the things that we're not to covet, it's expansive, it's thorough. Don't covet anything anybody else has. Greediness and covetousness. Whoever's wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. 1527, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. A stingy man, Proverbs 28 says, hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. 
Whoever robs his father or mother and says, that's no transgression, is a companion, companion with a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. You see, there's these glimmers throughout Proverbs, warnings of what we should avoid, and it shart, starts to show what is the heart behind the greedy person. They're failing to trust that the Lord will enrich them. I got to do this. I got to make this myself. I got to be my own person. In Proverbs 30, again, another word picture that helps us to understand greed, and it says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. I scratched my head. What what does this mean, a leech and its daughters? And I think the best explanation that I saw was a leech, if you've seen one and dealt with one, it looks the same on both ends. Like all it does is look for something to latch on and suck it dry. And that's the way greed functions in our hearts. It's lecherous. It wants and wants and wants. It'll never be satisfied. What is the application here? Our culture around us says you need more stuff. You need to keep up with the Joneses. You need to have the next best and brightest thing. But when will you say enough is enough? When will you say, I, I have enough? And in fact, the stuff that I have is weighing me down. If I were to consider moving today, I got so much stuff that I have to get rid of. It's crazy. Debt. Debt is another area of, of, of hazardous habits. In 22.7, you've heard this proverb, I hope, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. It hurts. It hurts when we owe and owe and owe and we can't seem to get out from underneath it. Be wise in the way that you decide to take on an obligation. Not all obligations or debts are the same. So be careful in how you use the the, that tool. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who s- hates striking hands in a pledge is secure. Be careful about backing somebody else's loan and putting yourself at risk. What about dishonesty or stealing? A false balance, get this, is an abomination to the Lord. There's so many sins in the Bible that are called sins, transgressions, But to call something an abomination before the Lord, we think that's reserved for things that are super serious, right? Well, God sees stealing, dishonesty, unjust unjust weights and scales, taking advantage of others in your transactions is an abomination to the Lord. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. It's lying on our taxes, it's, it's, it's fudging on an expense report, it's taking something out of the office that isn't ours and thinking that they'll never know. We need to be careful of that hazard and that hazardous habit to fall into. Finally, the area of um, taking pride in or trusting in our money. I think that came up again and again in Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So trust is a major theme throughout the Bible. Uh, some trust in chariots, some trust in armies, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where your trust is exposes your allegiance, exposes where your heart is at. It's better to be lowly and have a servant than to play a great man and lack lack bread. 
you know, you want to be thought of highly by others, and you have this reputation, so you dress a certain way, you drive a certain car, you live in a certain area, but that all costs, and you're willing to pay that because, to some degree, you're trusting in that, those riches. Um, it affects your friendships as well. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Yeah, but you have to ask, why are those friends my friends? In Proverbs 19.4, it says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. A poor man's brothers hate him. How much more to his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. Friendships can seemingly be influenced by if you have something to give to that relationship. The trust in, those, in, in your finances is really an imaginary one. Uh, Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is a strong city, and like a high wall is his, in his imagination. You just think that your riches are going to keep you secure. It's a high wall, but only in your imagination. Remember Job? In a moment, all of his riches taken away. Where is he going to find his trust? Where is he going to find his confidence? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Maybe you've undergone a time where you were not healthy in your habits towards money, and God had to give you a wake-up call. God taught you an amazing and serious lesson because of your misuse of money. The helpful money habits that I came across really kind of counterbalance those unhealthy habits. The first is honesty. That is so important in our culture today. It is such a um, common theme to hear people misuse, mishandle, and be dishonest with money. Christians, for the sake of Christ, ought to be scrupulous in the way that we use our funds. The wages of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. In the house of the righteous there's much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. A just balance and scales are the Lord's, and all the weights in the bag are His work. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in his speech. Your integrity is something you can't buy back if you're dishonest with your, with your use of money. Hard work is part of the um, healthy habits that we ought to put on. Whoever works hard uh, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Contentment. It's huge. In, in Proverbs fifteen sixteen, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened cat a fattened ox and hatred with it. When is enough enough? When do you find contentment? Uh, finally, I want us to think about planning. Um, actually, not finally, but in, in planning our use of funds, uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Uh, 
By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 27 convicts me because, let me be honest, if I'm truthful, I want my money and my finances just to be on total autopilot and to do its own thing. I don't want to have to manage, plan, keep watch. But Proverbs 27, we're called to know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And that was the place of uh, investment and wealth for anyone in the time of the Proverbs were written. For riches do not last forever, and does, not, and, uh, does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountain is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. I want to encourage you to take a look at where your budget is. Take a look at your plans for, for saving and see how faithful, how careful you're being. Get counsel. Get advice on this. Don't come to me for it, but seek out people who really are wise in this area, both in terms of what the Scriptures say and what it, what it warns against. Uh, saving is a big uh, subject in, in Proverbs. Just a taste of that is, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. <clears throat> if you're constantly just spending everything that comes in and you're not saving any of it, you're going to be in trouble when things turn uh, difficult. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And finally, the area of giving is a healthy habit. And you can't give what you don't have, so you give out of the abundance that God gives you. I love Proverbs eleven twenty four. One who gives freely yet grows all one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You can't outgive God. If you give freely, you will not suffer want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will be watered. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest in Proverbs and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. R.G. Letourneau is probably one of the most successful businessmen in the 20th century. He made millions in his lifetimes. He was an inventor. He was a business owner. He held the patents on many uh, earth-moving machines and giant uh, mechanical devices, steam shovels that moved tons of dirt. He founded the Christian University in Texas that bears his name, in fact, that my nephews both attend right now. He was very rich but at one point, he reached the point where he was giving away 90% of what he brought in and only living off of the 10% that he needed to get by. Amazing. He said at that point, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. What a testimony to that Proverb, giving freely, 
growing all the richer. The Lord's gracious that way. Now, I hope you'll take an inventory of your finances. I hope you'll, you'll do a little look at your, your budgeting, your planning, your seeking to be faithful and, and, and not falling into those hazardous practices. But I, I want to really conclude by having you do something more than just how is your spending and saving and giving activity. And I want you to do the maybe harder check of what is it saying about your heart? How does what being a follower of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ transform the way that you look at money? See, the biggest problem that you and I have in this universe is not a lack of money. It's the sin debt that we owe to God that we can never repay, but that through His grace and His mercy, Jesus came and paid in full for our sins. And when we trust in Him, we are bought with a price. Remember how that influenced the way that we look at, at wisdom and intimacy? You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You've been bought with a price, so why don't you glorify God with the use of your money? Well, what does Jesus say? It's the bookends of this message, I want to, you to understand, are the, the, the creation of us and the creation of wealth that all the provision that we have comes from God. We're simply stewards of it, and He gives to us as He sees fit, and we need to be cognizant that He owns it all. And then we're going to line up all of our books against this bookend so that it doesn't fall over thinking that it's our money, I got it, I earned it, I can do what I want with it. No, start with, it's all God's. Now line up your spending, your saving, your giving, your investing, your inheritance. And now I want to bring the, the second bookend here of the way that Christ and His perspective on money helps to shape the faithful habits that we establish, because it's the heart that really is on the line. In Matthew 26, Jesus, or in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus speaks about the mastery of our souls. Who's going to be our master? He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Ouch. The truth of the matter, you, is, you are either serving God or money. And this may sound uh, pretty un-American on July 5th, but you are not absolutely free. <laughs> we enjoy the liberties that we have in our country that have been gained for us. Uh, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. But that doesn't mean you're free to do whatever comes to your mind, whatever you want. We all have to serve a master. And we get to serve our Lord Jesus Christ because He is a good and gracious master. But we can't serve Him and money. Uh, Paul Tripp, in looking at Matthew 26, said this. He says, no one will escape. No, one, no heart will live free. Everyone's heart is mastered by something. And what masters your heart will shape your thoughts, your desires, your choices, your words, your actions, and your emotions. There's simply no conversation more important than this. Human beings were created to live under mastery, and we all do. The only question is, what is your master? Secondly, 
well, at the end of this section in Matthew 6, when Jesus then goes through about all the things that we worry about, all the things we're concerned about, what are we going to wear, what are we going to eat, what are we going to... And Jesus then at the end promises this, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. All the things that money can buy, we worry about and concern ourselves. If we have our priorities in line with our master, then he takes care of those. In another portion here of Matthew 6, uh, Jesus redeems our understanding of money by giving us a picture of treasure. Your treasure, what you treasure, shows what you value and what you will pursue. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, this is the barometer. This is the litmus test that the way that we use our money is more a result of what's in the heart and what's flowing out of the heart because where your treasure is, how you spend and organize and set your, uh, your values are shaped by what you treasure. You know, we've been given the greatest gift that you can ever receive, the salvation of our souls through our Savior Jesus Christ. And it's as if God gives us this wonderful, eternal, life-giving gift, and He wraps it in a box and wrapping paper of some of the blessings of financial riches in this life. And we get this gift, and we tear it open, and we get to see we're saved from our sins and eternal life is ours and what a glory that is. And then we start turning over the box and the wrapping paper and playing with that like a little kid at Christmas instead of the treasure that God truly has given us in the Son. Finally, we see that love is really what's on the line. Contentment, satisfaction is shown. Uh, the way the po- uh, Apostle Paul says it in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's not money. We all need money. We all need it to function. It's a gift from God. Understand that that truth is, is solidly placed in your, mind, in your mind. But the love of money, serving it as a master, treasuring it as if it's the end-all and be-all, is something that we completely have to guard our hearts against because the consequences are huge because the love of money has caused some to wander away from the faith and has pierced themselves with many pangs. Trip again, he says, we don't have a budget problem, we have a treasure problem. We don't have a financial problem, we have a kingship problem. We don't have a thing problem, we have a heart problem. If we don't deal with the kingship problem, we'll never successfully deal with the spending and budget problems that so many of us face. I 
do premarital counseling and help couples to think about this area and, and how Jesus should be the, the center of our money and our finances and how we use it. And later in life, I counsel singles and married couples alike that run into all sorts of pitfalls and dangers and get just so deep and deep into death and destruction because of their finances. And do you know the answer is not just giving them a budget and say, live by this. It's not just crunching numbers and say, do this, do this, do this. It's really exposing the heart that is serving another master and calling them by the gospel of grace that your good and faithful master, the Lord Jesus, full of love and mercy to you, has a better plan. Follow his plan, practice his habits, and you'll find the joy, the satisfaction that he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grace that you help us even when we have been unfaithful, you remain faithful. Our Lord, some of us have gotten turned around and backwards in the way that we have looked at money, and it's become a, a, a terrible master in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would give us freedom, Lord, that you would uh, help us to uh, live out the salvation that we've been given, even in this uh, area of the way that we spend our money, knowing that you are the giver of every good and perfect thing. It comes down from above, from you, our Father of lights. So, Lord, help us in this very uh, personal and challenging area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of response is, Oh, for a closer walk with God. We'll stand together and sing the first two verses as the elders come to prepare the table.